Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As the children of Israel were coming in and as they begin to conquer Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and, and you're going to see in a, here in a few minutes the Og, the king of Bashan, as they started conquering these kings, everyone else on the west side of the Jordan were taking notice because they're hearing stories and they're like, oh my, what is this thundercloud that's coming? What is this mass of people that's coming toward us? And they had every right to fear. And God, because he is the creator, he is able to reach into the mind and the heart of all those people who are afraid and make them even more afraid. Welcome, everyone, to today's edition of Truth in Christ. In our study today, Pastor Rob reviews the last part of Deuteronomy chapter 2 and continues on in chapter 3. He explores the different battles that God directs the nation of Israel through and how they are victorious under God's direction. Our lesson today shows how God is preparing the new generation of Israel to enter the land God promised them from the beginning. As we explore these sections of Scripture, we should remember that as believers in Jesus Christ, we are also being prepared for our heavenly home. God never changes and will do the same for believers in Jesus Christ even today. Here's Pastor Rob with today's message. Chapter 2 of Deuteronomy, let's open to that. And the children of Israel are on their way out of Egypt, and they were down at the uh, Mount Horeb, and now they're, they've made their way, and they're going uh, northward, and they're going to the Promised Land, and all the while they're going, they're passing by, especially as they get closer to the Dead Sea area, where ultimately they're going to, just north of the Dead Sea, they're going to make their westerly trek over the Jordan into Jericho, which we all know. But prior to that, on their way, they're, they're running into people groups and groups of people, some of which are, are brethren of theirs. In fact, in the first chapter, or I'm sorry, in the, in the second chapter here, in the beginning, they, they run across the descendants of Esau in Edom. And so as they're going by there, you know, God says, listen, Moses, you and your people, I want you to not harass them. I've given them that land. They're, they're sons of, of, of Isaac, right? Jacob and Esau. I've given them that land. Don't harass them. If you take any of their food or other water, you pay them. Just go on your merry way. Don't provoke them. And he did the same thing with Ammon. Because remember, Ammon was one of the illegitimate sons of Lot. And also Moab another illegitimate son of Lot. You remember in Genesis 18, 14, somewhere around that area. So God says, as you go past these people groups, don't engage them, pay them whatever you need for water and food, but make, make, go on your merry way. But there was a group, a couple groups of people that God says, I want you to wipe them out. I want you to engage them and, and get rid of all of them. 
and we're going to run into that this evening. And so we're going to start in verse uh, 24 of chapter 2, and it speaks about King Sion, uh, who was defeated. And in, in verse 24, it says, Rise, take your journey. Now, remember, uh, just really quickly here, this is Deuteronomy. This is the second telling of events that have already occurred back in Numbers and Exodus. Okay, so these events, this is a second telling of those events. Some of them are abbreviated, and, and it's just Moses preparing this new generation because that old generation that died in their unbelief in the wilderness, God, and God was going to wait until every single one of them, except for Jacob and, um, I'm sorry, Joshua and uh, Caleb. That's right. <laughs> Joshua and Caleb, they were the only two of that generation that survived. All the men of that generation died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. And so God was going to bring them in. And, he, and here Moses is right on the, on the cusp of going into the promised land. He's rehearsing all of this before this new generation, these younger folks that are coming up. And he's rehearsing it for them. And so in verse 24, it talks about him defeating Sihon, the king of the Amorites. And it says, and I sent mess, or it says, um, I'm sorry, in verse 24, it says, rise, take your journey and cross over the river Arnon, and I have given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. Notice he didn't say that about the Esau, the Edomites. He didn't say that about the Moabites. He didn't say that about the Ammonites because they're brethren. But now we get to Sihon, king of the Amorites. He says, engage him. <laughs> so this day, verse 25, I will begin to put the dread and the fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. And you know, we don't like to think of God in this manner. We like to think of God as being this cozy God. And I like that. <laughs> I like the idea of putting on my slippers and my, my sweater and putting up my hoodie in the morning with my coffee, my Bible, and I'm just cozy with the Lord. I like that. But I'm, I'm not really quite familiar with this God who is a God of war, who is a warrior. But see, that's the other side of the coin of God, the other nature of God. He's perfect in everything he does. He's perfect in love, but he's also perfect in, in war and vengeance. And see, that's why we ought to rejoice, because we are on the right side of God because of Christ. We're no longer en, uh, at enmity with God. We are his friends. We are his children. But we ought to reverence him as Almighty God. Amen? But we don't like to think of him like that. But God is a warrior, He's a warrior, and he's able to strike fear in the hearts of Israel's enemies, and he knows warfare. And one thing God knows really well is psychological warfare. It's one of the most effective tools in conquering any enemy. And any warrior, any commander knows that part of the game in war is psychological. If you overwhelm your enemy emotionally, half the battle is done. If you can break their spirit, if you can break their will, just by just scaring them with words. Before long, it's just it's easy to pick them off, and it's very easy to go forward. But I love what it says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 3. There's a song of Moses, and he says in verse 3, he says, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. 
He's a man of war. And down in that same chapter 15, in verse 14, he says, the people will hear and be afraid. And that's exactly what happened with the nations that were all in that area. As the children of Israel were coming in, and as they begin to conquer Sihon, the king of the Amorites, and, and you're going to see in a, here in a few minutes, the Og, the king of Bashan, as they started conquering these kings... Everyone else on the west side of the Jordan were taking notice because they're hearing stories, and they're like, oh my, what is this thundercloud that's coming? What is this mass of people that's coming toward us? And they had every right to fear, and God, because he is the creator, he is able to reach into the mind and the heart of all those people who are afraid and make them even more afraid. See, we don't like to think about a God like that. But he does that. He, strikes, he struck the fear into them. And they, all of the nations around, they were trembling, and they will be in anguish because of you. And I like that. I love that, that God does that, because I'm not strong. <laughs> I'm pretty weak. And I love it when God goes before me and he conquers my enemies. And sometimes you just have to show up and clean up. And the battle's already won. There's so many instances of that in the Bible. And I love that about the Lord. But in verse 14, he says, of Exodus 15, he says, The people will hear and be afraid, and sorrow will take hold of the habitations, or the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab, and, and they certainly were, trembling will take hold of them. And all the inhabitants of Canaan, there on the west side of the Jordan, they will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them, and by the greatness of your arm, they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. And I love that. I love that. God does fight for his people. He always has and he always will. Do you have anything to fear as a child of God ever? We really don't. Although it doesn't stop us from fearing and being afraid. And Jesus had, or I'm sorry, God had to speak that to Joshua in, in the first couple chapters several times. Joshua, don't be afraid. Be strong and of good courage. I've given you the, the land. I've given this to you. All you've got to do is show up. Show up. Jeff Rudd, who, was, uh, who went out from this fellowship, you know where he, uh, Pastor Jeff is actually down in North Carolina, um, continuing to help in a ministry that Jeff Rudd started and uh, as you know, uh, Jeff Rudd had passed away, uh, um, I think, three years ago. Two or three years ago. I, I forget the exact time. It was in September. Um, and one of his mottos that he would say to the men in prison and to his own kids, as far as ministry is concerned, he would say, show up and pay attention. That's simple. He said, that's the key. Show up and pay attention. This woman this morning, when she was making her breakfast, she showed up and she was paying attention, and God could use her. And that's all we have to do most of the time is just show up and pay attention. In Joshua chapter 2, you remember that uh, Rahab hid those two Israeli spies, right? It says in verse 8, Now before they laid down, she came up to them on the roof, Rahab did, and she said to the men, I know, listen to this, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard, notice, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. News was spreading very quickly. 
Neither did there remain any more courage in any one because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And you know, throughout Israel's history, God has always done this. Throughout their history, God has struck the fear of them in the, in, in, in the hearts of their enemies. In the 1967 war, and which is called the Six-Day War, and the Yom Kippur War in 1973, God had given to the Jews supernatural protection. There was one time when uh, up on the Golan Heights, which is in the northern part of Israel, they were outnumbered by Assyria, and it was a, it was a huge battle, and they were going to get creamed. And there, were, there weren't a lot of guys out there because they attacked them on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so they caught them off guard. And there was one guy in one tank on the Golan Heights. And what he was doing, God gave him wisdom and a supernatural ability at the very moment. Because there's this big hill. The Golan Heights is a big plateau. And it goes up like this. And Syria is just on the other side. We've been there. And these hills, and what this guy was doing is getting in his tank, and he was driving up, showing up over here. He would drive across like this, and the smoke and all this stuff is flying. He would drive over, and he'd come up over on this side. And the enemy, all they're seeing is all this smoke and, this, and these different tanks coming up at different times. But it was only one guy. And they got frayed. <laughs> and they had victory. And that was partially because of it. There were many other things, but that was just one of them. But we see this even in Gideon's battle. You remember in Judges chapter 7? They're up against this insurmountable army. There's 22,000 Israelites. God says, that's too many. If you guys go up against them, you're going to beat them, and you're going to say, my hand did it. He goes, ask everybody who wants to go home. So 12,000 went away. They went home. He, now he's got 10,000. And he's like, ah, 10,000 still too many, Gideon. Go and, and have the men go down by the water and get something to drink in the brook. And he told them, he says, the guys who just stick their face in the water and drink like a dog, tell them to go home. <laughs> the guys who kneel down like this, he says, those are the guys you're going to use because they're watchful, they're thinking about the enemy. And he says, use those. So now he's down to 300 people. Then they put these lanterns in clay jars, and then they got the trumpets in one hand and the clay jars in the other. And the psychological warfare that this played on the, um, the Amalekites and the Midianites totally freaked them out, and they fled, and they went after them, and they had victory. But see, God does that. So before the Israelites even crossed over the Jordan, the Canaanites were put on notice, and they were very fearful. So in verse 26, he says, And then I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Sion, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, let me pass through your land. This is exactly what they had done before. I will keep strictly to the road, and I will turn neither to the right hand or to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot, just as the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, and the Moabites, who dwell in Ar, did for me, until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. And so, even though God told them to engage him in battle... Moses is still doing the same thing, giving this man an opportunity to repent of his evil deeds. Because God knew the heart of Sion, king of Heshbon, of the Amorites. He knew his heart. He knew that ultimately they were going to destroy them. And, and, but notice Moses gives him an opportunity, and I love that. And you know, the king of Sion, he had a second chance to be civil and kind, but God knew ultimately the heart of this king. 
and ultimately knew that he would resist and thus be destroyed along with all of the people. And you can see how the decision of one man can affect so many. That's why decisions that we make, especially for those who are in any kind of leadership, uh, any kind of leadership at all, it's so important that we are dependent upon God and that we are prayerful. In verse 30 it says, But Sion, king of Heshbon, would not let us pass through. For the Lord your God hardened his heart, hardened his spirit, and made his heart obstinate, that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day. Now, you remember, if you would go with me, you know, when you think about God hardening somebody's heart, it doesn't quite seem fair, does it? Well, God doesn't just harden a heart. He waits. He knows what's in the heart. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 7, and we're just going to quickly go through this because there's a really wonderful lesson here. Exodus chapter 7. Because God hardening the heart of the Og king of, or, or I'm sorry, Sihon, the king of, of Heshbon? Why would you do that? Well, look at with me in, in Exodus chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. It begins the first plague, the, where the waters become blood. And notice down in verse 22 of that same chapter, it says, Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Notice, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard. Look at chapter 8, the second plague of frogs. And then look at the very last, or verse 15 of that same chapter. It says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief after Moses prayed for them, Pharaoh's heart, he, he, he hardened his heart. And then the third plague of lice, beginning in verse 16, and notice in verse 19, it says, This is the finger of God, but Pharaoh's heart grew hard again. And then finally in verse 20, or continuing on, in verse 20, the fourth plague, in verse 20, and then down in the 32nd verse of that chapter says, But Pharaoh hardened his heart again. Then look at chapter 9, the fifth plague, the livestock disease. And then look down at verse 7. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard. Notice the sixth plague, the boils. Now look at verse 12. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. Do you see the progression? And then go on, the seventh plague, the hail. Then look at the very last verse of that, 35. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Chapter 10, the eighth plague, the locust. And then look at the last verse of that in verse 20. And again, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The ninth plague, darkness. And notice in verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The death of the firstborn in chapter 11. And then you see in verse 10, the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. The tenth plague, the death of the firstborn. In verse 29 of chapter 12. And then ultimately it culminates in the Red Sea crossing in chapter 14. And notice what it says in verse 8. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Hardened his heart. After so many opportunities... He hardened his heart, he hardened his heart, he hardened his heart. And I find it interesting that on the sixth plague, which is the number of man, God hardened his heart. And then in the eighth and the ninth and the tenth and the twelfth plague, God hardened his heart. There comes a point when your heart becomes, when you've given, you've, you haven't corrected your own heart, you've allowed your heart to continue on in its hardness, and, and, and there comes a point where God says, I'm going to give you what you desire. 
because your heart is so bent on it. I'm just going to allow you to continue in that obstinate path that you've got going. And so we must be careful. But notice that God did that to Sion, king of Heshbon. He hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate. And the point was that God was going to deliver into Israel this king and all of his people. All of his people. In verse 31 it says, and we're back now in Deuteronomy chapter 2. In verse 31 it says, The Lord said to me, See, I have begun to give Sion and his land over to you. Begin to possess it and in it, uh, possess it that you may inherit this land. And notice it says, Then Sihon and all his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz. Now if you look up at the, the map here, you'll see something interesting. Right up here, you see that right there where it says Jahaz? So right here is Moab, and here was Edom. They crossed over the Zered River um, last week, or the week before when we were here. They passed over that. They crossed over into Moab, and now they crossed over the Arnon River. And then finally, the king of Sion meets them at this town called Jahaz and engages them in battle. And then Sion, verse 32, and all his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz. And the Lord, our God, delivered him over to us. So we defeated him, his sons and all his people. Verse 34, so we took all his cities at that time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and the little ones of every city. We left none remaining. And if you remember last, uh, the two weeks ago when we were in this, we, we just talked about this, and I just want to share with it really quick. You know, we don't always understand why God allows innocence, innocent children to, to pass. And if you weren't here, I want to encourage you that consider when God allowed them to go in and wipe out men, women, and children. You know, we don't have a problem with the men so much. We have a little bit harder of a time with the women, and we certainly have a hard time with kids. Because we're thinking to ourselves, where is God? How can he be just and do something like that? Well, consider in that culture, if those kids were to grow up and continue on in their father and mother's footsteps, which most of them did, they served their false gods, they die, and guess what? They go to hell. But you know what? I believe that children, when they pass away, and I don't know the age when that comes over, we call it the age of accountability. There's only a couple places in the Bible where we can really substantiate that, that idea, but I think they're pretty good. And I believe God is a just God. And when children are young like that and God takes them, they're, they're with him. So you think about all of these pagan places that, were, that the children of Israel are going into, and when God tells them to wipe out everybody, don't allow your heart to be overcome with too much sorrow because those children are in glory, I believe. The parents, different story perhaps, but those children are with the Lord. And you think about the mercy of God in that. Now a soul is in heaven where if he let that child continue and grow, guess what? The outcome might be different. So think of that. Because to me, that's the only way I can get my mind around that kind of thing. And I believe it's true. I believe it's true. So verse 34, we took all his cities at that time and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and the little ones of every city. We left none remaining. We, on, we took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took. From Aurorar, which is on the bank of the Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine, as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord God delivered all to us. And if you look again up at the screen, this Aurorar is right here. That's the city right here. And this Arnon River is the one he's talking about right here. And right in the middle of that river, if you were to zoom in there, you'd find in the, in the center of that stream or that river, there was actually a, a, a city that was right in the center. 
and they and that was a really uh, stronghold, and they actually took that over as well. So verse 37, only you, speaking Moses speaking to the children of Israel, he says, only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok or to the cities of the mountains or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. Because remember, God says, stay away from the children of Ammon, stay away from Moab. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio or sanctuary messages in MP3 format, free of charge, from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until this same time tomorrow, This has been Truth in Christ.